We have the opportunity to hear from Matthew Patrick. Matt and Ivy Patrick are serving at Wofford College with our Reform University Fellowship ministry there. Um, Wofford is, uh, has, we, we have one of the Wofford's famous alum, alumni here, you probably know, Steve Dickey. Is, he, he likes to refer to Wofford as the Harvard of the South. I, I've always heard that Wofford was the Ohio State of the South, but I don't know. Uh, but as you, hear, if, as you hear Matt preach, understand he, he, he's one of our own. That, that we are sending and supporting and praying for. He is one of our own. He's actually coming home to, to report from the front lines. Think of those parents who this fall or this summer are squeezing the life out of the last few weeks with their high school graduate as they're about ready to send them to Wabra. He is the answer to their prayers for their son or daughter, and what God has been doing there through his ministry at RUF. So I could preach, but I'll let him preach. Matt, come on up and bring God's word to us. Would you help me welcome Matt Patrick? <clears throat> I was just going to say, you just keep on preaching, brother. Um, just keep, keep on. Uh, it is good to be with you. I want to say two things before we look at... Um, God's Word together. You can turn in your Bibles to John 21, though, while I'm getting oriented. John 21, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Um, I, I do feel like I'm coming home. Uh, I'm finishing my fourth year at Wofford College in this job, and Reed Jones and I actually came in um, to this area of the country, this presbytery, together. So we're both finishing our, four, our fourth year um, doing RUF campus ministry in this presbytery. And funny, funny enough, uh, I went to the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and Reed Jones came in town to be our new campus minister uh, during my last semester. Um, and so Reed was my campus minister, and for a semester, he put up with all of my senioritis and my cynicism, and um, just all the all the questions I had for him. And um, so, I love the Jones family, and y'all are—I know you know this—but just want to say it: you are so blessed to have them here. Um, and I, we, this presbytery supports RUF so so well. And Clemson Pres, from the very beginning of Wofford RUF, the the first year it was started. You've been rooting for us. You've been cheering on, uh, on. You've been cheering us on. You have been praying for us, supporting us. So thank you. I just want to say that my wife Ivy and my little girl Annie say hello. They cannot be here. She's six months old, so she'd be like meltdown mode right now. So John twenty-one one through fourteen. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot in my job, some version of this question, and it's essentially, what is God up to? How does God reveal himself? Like Jesus asleep in the basement of the boat, disorienting his disciples, they look at this sort of thunderstorm hurricane situation of the seas, and they ask Jesus while he's napping, essentially, when are you going to wake up? Do you not see this hurricane? So how does God reveal himself? What is he up to? These are, just, these are spiritual questions for all of us. 
not just college students, but I'm asked that version all the time. And what we're going to see in this passage as we make our way through it is that Jesus reveals Himself through meals. Jesus reveals Himself through meals. Some version of this announcement was made to you this morning, I bet. Breakfast is ready. Breakfast is ready. You got up, you were groggy, and you started the coffee pot. You started um, frying eggs, frying bacon. You heard the, sm- heard the sound of the bacon. You began to smell it, and either you announced it to your roommates or you announced it to your children, or you heard this announcement. Breakfast is ready. And it's, it's an announcement that gets the day started, doesn't it? Jesus made that exact announcement to his friends on the beach as he cooked them breakfast. Meals are transformative in the Bible. I mean, when you look at the Gospels specifically, when you consider the life of Jesus, you see Jesus miraculously turning water into wine at a local wedding. You see Jesus feeding 5,000 people with two fish. And then when you look at the stories that Jesus told, you see parables about mustard seeds and fig trees, great banquets, and the marriage supper of the Lamb, these wedding feast stories. When Jesus describes himself, especially in John's gospel with those I am statements you probably are familiar with, he calls himself the bread of life and living water. And ultimately, Friends, Jesus took bread and wine around a table, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm not going to be here always. And so I want my word and the bread and wine at this table to be sort of central features of how I show myself to you when I leave. Meals are transformative in the Bible. And this scene, just to set it for you, Jesus is alive, but his friends don't know this yet. These are friends that they like fishing together. They probably were vocational fishermen, and they had a failed fishing trip one night, and they come in to the beach the next day, and there's their friend Jesus cooking breakfast. Eugene Peterson calls it resurrection breakfast, and I like that, so stealing that title from him. I'm going to read the passage, and we're going to walk through it. Friends, this is God's Word to us. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to you. And to me, not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow, he's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. After this, Jesus was revealing himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, out his outer gar- put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, just about a hundred yards off. 
verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled in the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you and we know that your word is living and active because you are living and active. But we also come humbly and honestly, our hearts are restless, our minds are busy this morning. And so I do ask that by your spirit you would slow us down, that you would enable us by your spirit to hear your word and to do your word, and that we would see the risen, reigning Christ and his beauty in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you're the note taker types, um, here's what we're going to do. Word and meal. Word and meal. That's how we're going to walk through the passage. Let's do the first one. Word. Okay, so while the meal really is the central feature and this really is the central focus of the text, the words of Jesus gets us oriented. The words of Jesus are just as much of a window into the heart of God. And after all, God's Word is living and active, and that's certainly the case in this passage. The first thing that we see about God's Word, about Jesus' speech, His words, is that the Word of God initiates. Jesus initiates these disciples with, in a conversation with His speech. John tells us at the beginning of the passage that these fishermen failed. These fishermen um, did not know that Jesus was alive and they fell. They thought, they thought their friend was still in the ground. In verse 3, if you'll look there again, it says that when they got out of the boat that night, they caught nothing. And so at night, the disciples' experience was failure and darkness and lack and void. But then the sun came up, come up the next day, came up the next day, and when the sun came up, you have the new mercy in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He shows up. He shows up and he initiates a conversation with them. In verse 5, he asks them a question. Children, you have any fish? He's initiating a conversation that we can just read over that line, read over that question, and skim over it. He's asking them a question. He's engaging them in conversation on the heels of their failure, on the heels and in the midst of their disappointment and their, and their de despair that their friend is in the ground. He is engaging them. One commentator just says the initial condition of the Lord's self-revelation when Jesus engages somebody it's not preparation or well-prepared disciples, it's failed disciples. So, friends, this morning, if you feel like whatever happened this week or last night has gotten you feeling all out of sorts this morning like a failure, you're actually ripe to hear God's Word come to you and engage you. 
every morning you were met with an initiating love of God's mercy. He engages. He's not far off or aloof with the darkness. Actually, the darker it gets, what we see is the closer Jesus goes to us. He isn't, he's not thrown off by the darkness. So God's speech, Jesus' words, they initiate. They also guide and they direct. They guide and they direct. Look at verse 6. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some fish. In other words, try fishing my way. Try fishing my way. In their failure and undeniable frustration, Jesus compassionately directs the disciples and becomes their fishing guide. That's what he's doing. He becomes their fishing guide. Isn't this exactly what God's Word does? I recall Psalm 119. You might know this. Maybe you have it memorized. Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Jesus is saying, my friends, my Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Last night didn't work for you. Follow my instruction. Listen to my words. The Word also creates The Word also creates. We see this in verse 6. John tells us that after following Jesus' directions, they caught so many fish, 153 of them. I love the specificity of John. It was overwhelming. Jesus' Word creates. The same Word that spoke the world into existence speaks to a company of eclectic fishermen, and out of the void and nothingness of their failure, we see a new creation. We see a new creation with God's Word. The Word made flesh, when He speaks, things just happen. 5,000 people are fed. People who couldn't walk before start dancing. The blind start seeing. Sins are forgiven. Marriages are restored. The Word creates. So that's the Word. Let's go to the meal now. The meal. God reveals Himself, of course, with His Word, but also in this meal. It's really the central kind of feature of, and the the kind of central focus for sure. But I, I do want us to think about the ordinary experience of eating meals together. I want you to think about this. Fish and bread and soup, when you gather around a table... It really does point to, in a sort of micro kind of way, this supper of the Lamb that we're all headed to. The the main image of heaven in the book of Revelation, the way that the story of the Bible ends, is this wedding reception. This marriage supper of the Lamb that will never end. And in this mundane way, when we gather around a table, and certainly when you all gather around the Lord's table It's pointing us and anticipating this great supper with Jesus as our host. And so if you want to know what Jesus is all about, the eggs and bacon this morning is actually a good place to start. In Luke's account of the road to Emmaus story, if you know this, Jesus' disciples are on this hiking trip, lots of miles of hiking, and this stranger starts walking with them. He starts preaching a sermon, and they start perking up and listening to him. They get to their destination in Emmaus, they get into a house, and they gather around a table, and this stranger breaks bread, and they recognized him. And so you see 
God's word and meal in the road to Emmaus story. When Jesus gets around a table, people pay attention because that's the way that he reveals himself. You see that he's a host of all these meals. In all sorts of ways, Jesus loves to set the terms and conditions of the meal. He has the charcoal fire here. The disciples are jumping for joy because of all of the the fish that they have, and then they see their friends in that announcement of their friend. Come and have breakfast. They smell the charcoal. They see their friend. No one dared ask who it was. They knew it was the Lord. I wonder if they recognized maybe the charcoal from previous meals that Jesus cooked. It's playful speculation, but Jesus says, breakfast is ready. Come and taste and see resurrection life with me. But he is the host. The host, one commentator says, always sets the terms and conditions of the meal. And you know this. When you do hospitality in your home, you are setting the terms and the condition where people sit, where the silverware is placed, how the silverware is placed, which cups you use, which cups you don't use, which silverware and sort of items around the table are appropriate for that setting and maybe the kinds of people that are coming in. How casual is it going to be? How formal is it going to be? You think about all of that when someone comes into your house. You're setting the terms and the conditions for the meal because you're the host. Michael Pollan, a journalism professor, in his book called Cooked, it's a wonderful book about food, and he says this, is there any practice less selfish, any labor less alienating, any time less wasted than preparing something delicious and nourishing for the people you love? The host is in charge. The disciples are his welcomed guests. He is the host, but he's also a generous host. So he's setting the terms and conditions. He's ordering them around. Do fishing this way. Put the fish over here. You smell the charcoal. You, you can, hear, you can see, see and hear him ordering them around, setting the terms and conditions for this meal. He's doing it deliberate, deliberately, but he also is generous. There's so much fish, right? There's not just enough fish. There's not just enough mercy with Jesus. There is no limits to his mercy. There is no limits to his grace. It never runs out. It's new every morning, and the abundance of fish is showing us that. There's enough for everybody. Another speculation kind of thing. I wonder if Jesus looked around and was like, this is more than enough fish that we can eat. Why don't you do this like Great Commission stuff and invite people to come eat with us? Of course, he probably said that. It'd be just like Jesus to say something like that. There's enough for everyone, grace upon grace. Jesus is anything but stingy with his mercy. Sacrifice is also crucial in hospitality. When you get someone and you invite someone over to your home, there's all kinds of behind-the-scenes effort and work that went into that. We hinted at it earlier. But when you say to someone when they come in, dinner's ready, breakfast is ready, lunch is ready, or you say things like, make yourself at home, lots of work went into that statement. Lots of work went into you making your home welcoming and warm 
and inviting. And the guests didn't see any of it. Sacrifice was important. Sacrifice was involved for you. The hosts always sacrifice time, energy, and resources to make it all right. So when you sit down at someone's table and you look at the mashed potatoes, someone probably peeled them. And you get a second serving of berries. There was a farmer who grew those berries, who sacrificed time and energy to make that happen. And so you're receiving the benefits of the host's love because of the sacrifice and the labor that they went in, that they put into their work. There's a magical experience around a table with a lot of mundane work that went on behind the scenes. Always with sacrifice, there's always hospitality. And is not sacrifice the central feature of the Lord's Supper? The meal. When Jesus took bread and wine at the table with his friends, he said the only way that you can receive the divine hospitality that I am offering you, the mercy that I'm offering you, the nourishment that I'm offering you, if, is the only way that can happen is this, my blood has to wash you. I have to be broken for you. I have to sacrifice for you. I have to be your substitute. That's the only way that this hospitality situation can be experienced for you and your household and the world. Sacrifice is always involved. The only way to taste and to see His goodness is if we trust that that sacrifice is actually sufficient to make us at home with Jesus. So there's this movie that I'm going to talk about for a second and close here. It's called Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast, this old movie from 1987. It takes place in the 19th century, this tiny Danish fishing village. And here's the story. There's this little parish, this little village, and there are not many people who live there. And it's on the coast, and they have a pastor there. The pastor faithfully serves the community. Eventually he dies of old age, but he has two daughters. They don't have families. They run the village after he passes away. And this village is grieving. This village is grieving the death of their faithful pastor, who's kind of legalistic and stern, but he was really faithful. He was a shepherd. And they were his flock. And they're grieving. And out of nowhere, this woman shows up, and her name is Babette. Babette shows up, and she's fleeing war in her own country, and she wants safety. She needs shelter. So she shows up. She says, I'll do anything. Just let me stay here. Let me cook for you. Let me work. I'll do anything. And so they start paying her to do maintenance and cooking. And something happens that changes Babette's life forever, literally forever. <laughs> she wins the French lottery. She wins the French lottery. Everyone's freaking out about this, and the village starts to panic. What's going to happen with Babette? They were celebrating her winning the lottery, lottery on the one hand, but they were really disappointed because they think Babette, and they assume that she's going to leave the village. We've grown to love her. She has served us. And so her final kind of like going away gift for this community was this meal. And it's meals 
It's a meal that she prepared, and all the ingredients are from her homeland in France, and she was meticulous about this. She has cooks come in from her homeland. They bring all the ingredients, all the fish, all the duck. Everything is so meticulously created. And here's what happens. The end of the movie is this meal. And they get around this table. And you have walked with them for an hour and a half of grief and cynicism and bitterness and disappointment. And this meal is like four or five courses The wine just keeps coming. The servings, there's grace upon grace. And here's what happens as they eat together. Frowns are turned into dancing and laughing. Bitterment and resentment, you see literally incarnate. You see reconciliation at the table. People estranged are reconciled. They become children at the table. They become children at the table. And this former war veteran stands up, and this is what he says. This is his final toast. There comes a time when your eyes are opened and when you come to realize that mercy is infinite. You need only await it with confidence and receive it with gratitude because mercy imposes no conditions. For mercy and truth are met together, and righteousness and bliss shall kiss one another. So at the Lord's table, it's pretty eclectic, isn't it? You got Democrats there, you got Republicans there, you got people who really like the mask, and people who don't like the mask. You've got older brother Pharisees, you've got prodigal sons coming home. You got people suspicious of one another, all at the table. How eclectic it is there. It doesn't get much eclectic. And Jesus loves that. And he says, I want you to become my children at the table. And Jesus is meeting his friends with this mundane meal. And as he says, Breakfast is ready, he's saying, I want you to eat this eggs and bacon meal and all of its ordinary, mundane stuff of it. I want you to become my child. And I want you to welcome to the world into this meal. Isaiah 55 has this beautiful invitation, and I want you to be thinking about how Jesus fulfills these words, and I'm going to pray. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the richest of food. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful for your word, the way that it initiates us in our failure, the way that it guides and directs us. Your word is a lamp to our feet, light to our path, the way that your word creates all kinds of amazing things out of void and nothingness. So, Lord, by your spirit, help us to hear your word and also to do your word. 
And that in doing so, we would see the beauty of the Word made flesh, your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you right now, with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.